Yeah, well, I mean, you take things for granted, and you just don't think to, uh, to second guess. I mean, we've been so. using this recording studio for, God, over three years now, I guess. God, it's getting close to four years, Chad. Can you believe that? And that was wow. the first time you had a technical snafu yeah, of that sort? Yeah, that was the first time that's happened. And, and for anybody listening to this, that's what happened last week. We were recording. We recorded, like, 40 minutes with JJ and before JJ realized his part wasn't recording. It was just blank. And it was a mistake we, we had made. Apparently, when we sent a link, it was per, you were a producer. So I guess a producer can only talk but not be recorded. Like if, if, if this was a real podcast, that's how it would be done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like real podcasts have producers <laughs> right. and actually record the guests <laughs> they do it properly but, but i feel like in real podcasts the producers also chime in a bunch right uh, like, well you're like right Jamie, that's true right is always chiming yeah. in right that's true but then so then what's the use of not having that we actually thought maybe just posting it without the third voice <laughs> that would be so surreal noticed <laughs> the <laughs> surreal conversation that was had with two of three people it was just yeah chad and yeah, me talking just... and then just these weird pauses while you were talking it's, it reminds me. Have you ever seen the um, the Garfield oh, yeah, Garfield yeah. Uh, comics? It's <laughs> it that is. kind of thing, right? Like your your imaginary uh, friend. You're just sort of hallucinating <laughs> a, a third part of the dialogue. Uh, yeah. Can I ask you a personal question, JJ? Go ahead. Are you growing your hair long again? I think I am. Uh, so I mean, as anybody who's watched my videos regularly will know, I am never satisfied with how I look at any given time. And not like in a sort of deeply kind of like insecure way or anything like that. I just find that I get bored if I have the same facial hair or same, you know, head hair for too long a period. So I'm always experimenting. I'm always trying different looks. Um, I liked, people give me a lot of compliments. My hair was like shoulder mm -hmm. length. I have pretty thick wavy hair. So when I have like full shoulder length hair, it looks a little lion. Yeah, it's a mane. People say it's a kind of mane, right? Mm. So, and I don't know. It's, uh, but the thing I'm, I'm self-conscious about, it doesn't really show up on camera or on my YouTube videos is that I do have a lot of gray hair now. And I do kind of feel like as you get, uh, more gray hair, like long gray hair kind of reads differently, <laughs> uh, when you're kind of middle-aged, you know, it kind of makes you look more like you're an aging hippie or something you as opposed to like a ponytail. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I can start wearing, you know, uh, floral uh, print shirts and you know, <laughs> right. If you're a rock star or like a super, super loaded person who can get away with it, it's fine. Otherwise, you look like you're struggling. And that's why I started going with short hair. I only bring it up because um, do, you, do you like my hair? Steve, do you like Man, my hair again? What did you do to that hair? You would think I would I have gone to some high-end salon here in Toronto and paid hundreds, if not, nay, thousands of I dollars. I was thinking that. Was thinking, a, Damn, that's a $1,000 haircut <laughs> right there. <laughs> Would you believe I learned how to cut my own hair off of a YouTube Get video? Get out. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever thought about doing that, JJ? Well, see, my mother is a hairdresser, and I feel like she would oh, disown me if I attempted to do something of that sort. It's like, no, my, my mother is very fussy. She, I mean, she cut my hair for most of my life. I've now kind of started going to the salon for the first time in my life, you know, as a sort of right of adulthood, mm. not wanting my mother to do it anymore. But... Uh, no, I've been I've been raised to believe that haircutting is is strictly for trained professionals, you. and that people that cut their own hair are yeah the worst. It's like getting source. a plumber. I don't want to do that stuff. I'm gonna yeah. hire a professional. <laughs>
But I mean, we can't argue with the yeah, results. Chad's hair does look, look quite striking. Yeah. And so I'm getting there. It 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 takes uh, it takes a little while to kind of get used to it. This is the second time that I've I've done it. Um, I decided not to like advertise the fact that I did it until I kind of got the hang of it. And I was surprised at how easy it was and how mm. I now kind of feel foolish to think that hairdressers had some magical power <laughs> that made us all believe that <laughs> we could the, not. The, like it's it's a pretty basic thing. And once you learn the basics of, of fa like fading hair and, and using three different yeah. attachments on a thing and then yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The once. Once you learn how to put the bowl <laughs> on your around head, it. how to ring the cut around. Right? Do you remember the Floby? Oh, I do. Oh, I remember this as like a comedy poll. I don't remember exactly what it was though. Legitimately in the 80s or maybe early yeah, 90s. It was a legit, it was like one of these TV commercial uh, pitches. I don't what, what would they, it was like an infomercial kind of thing where, yeah, it was, it, a, was. it was a hair cutting thing that you would put on the end of a vacuum cleaner. And so you would, oh, and it would cut your hair and then suck up all of the hair clippings. All of the hair. And oh, all right. you had to do was change uh, things. But, and again, perhaps it That's didn't fine. work because people were like, no, we can't, we can't do that <laughs> ourselves. However, it was legitimately an eight minute YouTube video. It's a testament to this video. I should, I should share it with everybody. Cause like the guy did such a good job with just getting to the point. And the reason why is cause it was one of those 2020 a pandemic oh, videos right. where everybody was mm. actually making information because we cared like so the video starts off with hey guys i hope you're i hope you're keeping safe <laughs> <laughs> so it starts with all of that and then he gets right and he's like i'm not going to do all of that nonsense that everybody else is doing i'm just going to show you right now because it's about love y'all <laughs> and he goes and, he's, and, da, 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 and he cuts his hair and within eight minutes i'm like this is such a brilliant video and then i realized it's such a brilliant video because it was being made for a different kind of purpose not because it was like hey guys <laughs> smash that like button Here there's five that's so easy funny, ways. There's going to be a lot of those defining features of, of lockdown videos, and that's that is definitely one. Hey guys, hope you're all staying safe out there. <laughs> yes, yes. Some of them have obviously aged much better than others. I'm sure the tutorials on how to like wipe down your groceries <laughs> yeah. aren't getting the. Uh, the yeah, they're probably not 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 getting that AdSense money too much these days. <laughs> well, <laughs> washing your reusable mask. Yeah, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, one of the things I noticed when I was on your said YouTube channel is that you are dangerously close to one million subscribers. Yeah. Mm. Well, it doesn't, yeah, I'm sorry to say it doesn't feel quite that close. So like I've been at 922 for what feels like, like many weeks now. It's hard to believe, but like there was a time where I was getting like a thousand subs a day mm. and I'm very like nostalgic for that. But now I feel like I'm getting a thousand subs. I don't know. It takes several weeks. And honestly, I was thinking about this the other day because it's like, I really want to get to that arbitrary million because then all my problems will be solved. It's but, true. Uh, what, uh, what, I've, what I've realized is that it's probably like the shorts. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being on, on, on this podcast many uh, months ago and talking about shorts and like, you know, at one time I was making shorts all the time and, you know, they were getting tons of views and now I don't really make shorts anymore. I mean, I feel like I just have less time to make them. I feel like you know, if I'm being honest, they've called kind of like the fad has kind of died down <laughs> a little is. bit. And maybe I don't feel as carried by the momentum of being on top of the latest, greatest thing as much. But I do think that they were probably a variable that helped explain why my channel was experiencing a lot of growth in a short period of time. And now that I'm not making them anymore, it feels logical to conclude that they've played at least some role in the fact that, that the growth of my, of my channel is, is so, is so such a snail's pace. Well, maybe it's just because your videos aren't as good. 
Well, that could be it too. I mean, I've made a few real clunkers no, actually, recently. Actually, your videos, so man, you uh, consistently get really good views on your videos. I, well, I do. I though, I'm not sure. Uh, I you're do. getting like, over I feel a like I, hundred thousand. That's well. Let's if go. I get like, sorry. I was just going to say, let's go down this rabbit hole, Steve. Let's this do is the live audit. This is what we've actually talked about just even before we uh, started this podcast. And we had an exchange of texts the other day where um, now when we release a Clean My Space video, if it gets 25,000 views, I'm so happy with that because 25,000 <laughs> is so many people. And I remember yeah. I was just so like remembering the days of like, oh, remember 100,000 views in the first two days or, you know. To your point, the 1,000 subscribers a day was always like, that was at our max point. We're like, every day, there would be 1,000 people who would subscribe. And I remember it going down in increments of 100 and da, da, da. And I think right now we're probably like at 100 or 200 a day. And I remember how miserable I felt until I started thinking about the 100 people every single day who, you know, actually do subscribe. So your most recent video was 70,000 views in two days two and a half days which you would probably be like oh it's terrible i've actually Damn. been like i've been consciously not looking at my channel over the last few days because i'm so embarrassed about Why? that video which has done so poorly i don't know like i i don't like that video it's gotten quite negative feedback from the audience and really? uh, yeah and it was like a 10 out of 10 and uh and i just kind of felt sort of embarrassed by it so it's like for me like my my comfort zone is like at least a thousand within a couple of days. And if it does, or uh, uh, sorry, not a thousand, at least a uh, uh, hundred thousand within a couple yeah. of days. Yeah. And if I don't pass a hundred thousand within a couple of days, I really feel like a, a failure. And so I knew that that video was not going to pass a hundred thousand. did you, when, when you made that video, did you think that it was going to be a popular video? Because I actually think it was, it's super compelling. I think it's one of your most compelling videos recently is this whole uh, concept of you've come up with of a 4D character. I think that, and I mean, like, this is actually like in the aftermath of that video sort of flopping and the kind of negative feedback I've gotten on it from my audience. I, you know, I'm trying to use it as a learning experience because I think that's the only way you stay sane in this world is by using sort of defeats as opportunities to learn. And I do think that it's kind of made me realize that, you know, I would probably benefit from being able to have somebody critically read over my scripts before I record them sometimes just so people can like, you know, because I like to think that I'm good at sort of noticing the flaws in my own arguments and stuff. But I've had videos, you know, not this, this is not the first time, but I've had videos where like my, I post a video and like my audience immediately, immediately notices like a significant flaw in my argument or just like a significant blind spot of an important point that I just did not acknowledge or did not engage with. And I just kind of feel like sometimes, uh, it would probably be useful if I had somebody who could like read over my scripts and say like, oh, you know, it was fine, JJ, but why did you not mention this? Or it seems to me that an obvious sort of rebuttal to this mm. point you made here would be that. So I feel like that that video, like the 4D character thing, you know, this is just, if I may describe it to the listener who obviously has not watched this video, it's basically based on the premise that, you know, some sort of cultural characters and cultural phenomena more broadly have, you know, a sort of a minimum of three other influences that go into it, right? So like the one thing I gave an example of in the video was like the, these croc boots, that uh, old what's-his-face was wearing at the uh, mm. streamies the other day. I'm seeing those everywhere now, by the yeah. way. Yeah, so it's like, and this is, I mean, they're, they're these big kind of grotesque uh, <laughs> yellow foam boots that have holes in, in sort of the, the bridge of the shoe, kind of like a pair of Crocs. 
And I sort of described this as being an example of like my sort of 4D character theory, because those boots are themselves a takeoff of this other sort of pair of novelty boots, the so-called big red boots that were sort of taking over the internet a few months ago. So this is like a croc version of those novelty boots. And the novelty boots, the original big red boots, were sort of based on the boots that the cartoon character Astro Boy wore. So in order to understand these new croc boots, you kind of have to understand three other things. Like you have to understand uh, what crocs are, you have to understand what the original big red boots are, and then by virtue of understanding the big red boots, you also have to understand who Astro Boy is. So it's like, it's, it's a cultural object that has like four different dimensions of kind of complexity to it. And even as I'm describing it right now, I just realized that this is like, it's kind of a convoluted thing to explain. And I feel like a lot of the examples I gave were not that great to my, to uh, like some of the audience didn't find some of the examples I gave were persuasive. So I think there's, there's something to this, but again, like, I feel like the way that I explained it in the video maybe could have been sort of sharpened up a bit more. And I could have sort of preemptively engaged with some of the criticisms, some of the fair criticisms that my audience had. What were some of the criticisms? Well, just that like I didn't sort of have a kind of consistent theory as to what counts as an influence, right? Oh, right. So for example, like I gave an example of, of a character that I said sort of only had two dimensions, uh, which is the, uh, the uh, Officer Big Mac character from McDonald's. <laughs> right, right. You know, so it's like, you know, we all know that character, right? Like yeah. the policeman burger headed character, yes. right? And so I said, like, you know, he's only kind of got two levels of complexity. You know, he is, a, you have to know what a Big Mac is, and you have to sort of be able to sort of like recognize the kind of the cultural signifiers of a certain kind of like Victorian era policeman. Stereotypical cop. Yeah, right. with, the, with the, you know, the high sort of British mm -hmm. style helmet and, and the star badge that signifies that he's like a, a police officer and all that. But then, so like to me, I said, like, you only have to kind of understand those two things, the Big Mac and the certain conception of the Victorian police officer. But then some people said, well, it's like, but to understand a Big Mac, you have to like know what a hamburger is. And to like understand what a hamburger is, you have to oh, know what a sandwich is. And it's sort of like, yeah, in, in some respects, like you could kind of extrapolate endlessly outwards. Like you could even say, well, to understand what like a Victorian cop's policeman uniform <laughs> looks like, you have to know what a police officer is and you have to understand what a concept of like right. law enforcement is. So, yeah, like there are some ways in which you could just extrapolate so wildly outward that the theory becomes sort of meaningless. I did a, a character last week or last year for Halloween, which is sort of the same way, but it also is basically like just a number of stereotypical characters that come together. So it's not really, I guess, the 4D concept. So in other words, I was doing like this serial killer who clearly looked sort of like Jeffrey Dahmer. So the glasses and the hair slicked back. And then, uh, so he, he's a serial killer talking about stuff in his, in his cellar. And then at the, at the same time, he's an influencer. So he, he has to try to, and so it's basically bringing together the stereotypes of the influencer and the, and the kind of the stereotypical serial killer. But these are just like stereotypes coming together into yeah. a character. So it's not like, I, I think what you're getting at is you need to have all of these points of references for this new character to fully make sense. Yeah, but your, your example seems like an example of that. Like you have to be able to sort of recognize the cultural signifiers that we sort of understand in the pop culture as representing serial killer, but then also the sort of signifiers that represent being an influencer, right? And right. so choose based on what specific sort of signifiers you use, I think, yeah, you could easily 
describe that as being a, a 4D character based on this yeah. theory. And you could also probably probably look at these things from a point of view of would somebody 50 years ago have any idea what this character is? And in that case, no, it wouldn't have made much sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and again, it gets to what we've talked about before, which is this sort of general concept of, of cultural literacy, right? Like we are constantly sort of accumulating knowledge that allows us to understand sort of ideas that are being communicated in the broader culture. And one of the ways that that manifests is at the form of sort of stereotypes and, and shorthand and the way that certain objects or props or costumes or whatever sort of are, to use another pretentious term, like synecdoches, like they're representatives <laughs> of a larger kind of whole. Your previous video did really well about the four foods like yeah it's quintessential american foods and see i thought that was a pretty good one too that maybe one, it's because that that's, that's probably more representative of typical well no i think both of those videos are pretty typical of your channel i, I think know. i think you made it pretty clear that it was your take on an idea and a concept that you mm -hmm. had you float it that way you literally the first word in the title is my so i mean you're 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 very <laughs> yeah. much making it clear it's like hey guys i like here's some things and here's just a thought it sounds like some hate watchers, just the people who like, <laughs> like the, oh, no, no, JJ, no. It's, you're, it's, you know. <laughs> I, I deserve the criticism. Like there were ways in which the theory was not particularly well thought out. And I, again, but like, I but is that okay? To, like, the, is that okay? I think That's I think ultimately what I'm, I think it's fine to a point, but I do think like there is a, a worthwhile lesson that is useful, not only for me, but for other people too, which is that, you know, it can be worth soliciting feedback when you have big ideas or when you're going to posit something about the way things are in the world. I think that if you are like me and that, you know, you're making and writing and you're sort of working in a somewhat solitary environment, it can be useful to have people that you can sort of bounce your ideas off and maybe get some feedback and help you steel man the case for whatever point you're trying Send to make. Send me over your script anytime. <laughs> I, I really liked the video because it really just seemed to be something that you had in your mind that you wanted to share and it really came across in the video that way. And that's actually why I loved it as a great example of a video, which was like, wow, it really looked like he wanted to just have this be a point of discussion and de debate or whatever it was. And I, I think... Um, I think you managed to do that because like you got 260,000 views on a video called why are so many Americans anti-American with Tucker Carlson and AOC in the thumb. So you were clearly getting the views when you can talk about those things. But like this was yeah. something that you thought of. There's a, <laughs> and now there's conversation coming out of that. So you like literally created something. So I almost think that the healthiest thing that you can do is have that not attract that same attention because doesn't it put into perspective the attention that you do get on those videos like don't you get tired of the videos that like do click are the ones that you don't want to do um well i mean first i'm glad that you guys enjoyed that video i mean that praise is <laughs> is is nice to hear um but I mean, like, I, I do feel like as a general principle, I make videos that I want to make, right? Like, I, I think about what the audience wants, but I also kind of feel like, and I've talked about this before on this show, like, I have a good relationship with my audience where my audience has a degree of trust in me and that, you know, that they will follow me based on where I take them because they have a certain idea, I guess, that I'm sort of credible and entertaining and, and that kind of way. But uh so in that sense, like, I don't feel like I'm ever at a place where I'm making videos I don't want to make or that I'm making videos, you know, just to kind of appease my audience. Like, I don't really feel like that's been a very consistent feeling that I've ever had. But on the other hand, the, the thing that I do feel is like, I do feel like I have to impress my audience and I have to sort of maintain the level of quality. And so when I start to feel 
frustrated is when I feel like I'm not able to deliver the kind of experience sure. that my audience has come to yeah. expect from me. And then that's why, you know, I have sort of feel bad about view counts and stuff like that, because then I feel like, okay, like I really misread what I thought my audience was into. Like maybe I don't understand my audience's sort of like tastes as much as, as, as I previously assumed. Right. Because it's like, even though, yeah, they, they trust me, they trust me within, <laughs> you know, a certain parameter. I was thinking about you the other day, JJ, I saw the, uh, there's a show on Netflix called Predators or Predator or something like that. It's about, it's a documentary series about just animals in the wild. But okay. it's like Predator. I thought this was going in a different direction. <laughs> See? Chris, Chris Hansen came out. and You never right. want somebody to say, I was thinking about you because there was a show about Predators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, so but no. The reason why is because you had talked about your your utter and complete disdain towards animals mm -hmm. of all kinds, yes. every animal on earth, and yes, so, anything that crawls on the earth or <laughs> wriggles on its belly. Yes, disgusting. So this show is this. It's this documentary, and we've all seen animal wild documentaries about the lions and and everything. But this one is like. It so anthropomorphizes these animals, oh, yes. and it, it's it's this guy. Of course, the guy narrating has this very British accent, so <laughs> it, it has an air of authority to him. But but so they they name all of the animals. They're like, we're going to follow this tr this this pride of lions, and the leader is Simba, and then they, oh, they, yeah, the. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the the babies have names and then but they, there's all this emotional music and then then he'll say like well the mother has to go away to find food leaving the leaving its offspring alone and then it cuts to a shot of the of the the baby tiger or the, the lions and the, and they're just looking so pathetic and and the, the voiceover is like they're worried that their mother may <laughs> never come back <laughs> really i don't know yeah, if they, uh, if they, they don't look like they're thinking anything oh god yeah Yes, I, I hate those kind of shows. My father used to really love those and would always sort of like force the family to like watch them together. And yeah, it's so anthropomorphizing. And yeah, they always do give them like, and it's just like, and like the names, like, yeah, the names always just irritate me. It's like, and then they like infuse personalities. It's like, oh, this is totally. Simba, like the spunky yeah. youngest brother, this resents his yeah. older brother for Whoa. hogging all the meat, but he'll soon get his revenge. You know, like this, it's, it's. it's and I'm pretty sure that they could just cut to a shot of like a different line and we would never know if it was <laughs> well, precisely same. right like it's all edited within an inch of its life like i've yeah. heard that i've heard that actually is um kind of a black pill thing for some people right like in the same way that like we all kind of accept that reality tv is very edited and you know to kind of create a kind of narrative structure where you know the people that were actually in the moment perhaps didn't realize it it's like the same with like animal stuff it's like they'll record hours and hours and hours and hours of footage in which nothing happens and then they'll all splice it together to make it seem like these animals are living just like mile a minute lives on the sahara where everybody's just like constantly being attacked and fighting and hunting and just no it's it's it's, it's all brutal. constructed it's brutal out there that's all i know and these poor these poor tigers and lions and i always get lions and tigers mixed up on these things i guess one has a pride well, and the other doesn't one is stripey one, one is stripey it's not like i don't know the difference for some reason on the shows they they seem to, to they have to make a big distinction between the patterns of one and and only need to watch animals. more uh 
I need to watch more Tirzu. Do you ever watch the channel oh, Tirzu? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I met I met him when I was at uh, at VidCon. He yeah. he won the uh, the streamy for best educational uh, YouTuber. Did you see? Oh, wow. I was pretty I did not know that. I was pretty pleased uh, to see that because yeah, he's a good a good guy. I mean, he obviously I'm not terribly interested in animals, but he <laughs> yeah. certainly seems to be king yeah. of animal analysis YouTube, which was yeah. pretty cool. I yeah. think he really started the whole, well, I don't think he started it probably, but the whole tier list kind of format of videos, because I remember him doing that. And I think he was the first one that I saw really doing that on a consistent basis. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. That's a good, uh, that's a good uh, sort of cultural analysis, deep dive, that little rainbow colored tier list thing that everybody mm -hmm. loves. Yeah. Like where did that come from? And yeah, what role yeah, did he play I, in sort of popularizing? Was, I thought it was iDubs. I, IDubs could have been the first to like get it Maybe to that it level was. of like whatever. I'm sure it, it was probably with done. S tier is highest. And, uh, and that's a I went to uh, Tier Zoo and the first tier list video came out six years ago. Um, it's one of their first videos. So clearly, that, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what that means, but it means that uh, they were doing tier list videos in 2017. And that is 100% before IDubs, I think. Either okay. Have either of you guys ever done one? You guys, have you guys ever done? I feel like you guys have so much integrity that you guys don't sort of resort <laughs> to doing these kind of. Uh, you guys don't do <laughs> these it. kind of like cheap gimmick fads. No, you know, that sort I've, of sweep I YouTube. have done cheap gimmicky fad videos, and they just don't do well. So mm. it's just not. It's not what my audience really kind of wants to see too much of. Um, but I, I've thought about doing tier lists, uh, and I thought it would be fun if just like useful and useless tools and things or like that. Around the I'd love, shop, to, I'd love but... to see, I'd love to see Steve. I'd love to see a tier list of wood, like all the different types of wood, <laughs> oh, because good. I feel like that's something that your set has a lot of very strong opinions <laughs> oh, on. Oh yeah, and I am like very, very dimly aware of like the different qualities of wood, and I feel like that would be interesting for me just as an educational exercise I to like. I'm gonna have to agree. That's a very good idea. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to jump on that. Cause that, you know, when I'm on a podcast, when, um, that's like one of the most common questions people ask me, what's your favorite wood? <laughs> what kind of what? wood do you like to work <laughs> that with? That is a dumb question. That is not, I don't know what he has a favorite, just whatever. Is it, but is it but, divisive though? Like, could you imagine if you is. did a wood tier list that people would yeah, be pissed oh, off at some you, of your choices? You want a deep, you want a deep dive right now, like the, cliched wood that it, everybody was using was walnut <laughs> okay so this was like the past few years but now it, it's like swinging the other way that it's like oh if you use walnut that's just so so last year <laughs> and there's no reason is there because it's no. the same uh, steve arguably is it the same type of wood that has been the same type of wood for the past few years uh -huh. the wood hasn't uh -huh. changed at all i see the wood has not changed no yeah, strange no the, the big trend is epoxy everybody's pouring epoxy tables and river tables and it's not even One wood the, at all one of my see, that favorite would be on my tier list that would be at the lowest epoxy end, just yeah. be epoxy because yeah. it's not even wood but it is considered kind of in that it's wood adjacent what are, what are, what is Ikea furniture made of? It's like particle board, but what yeah, is particle called, board? It's called MDF, medium yeah. density fiber board. So it's actually pretty strong stuff. It's just made with sawdust and it's all like crammed together, packed really densely and it's very heavy. And it, if you have like a wide shelf, it'll sag over time because it doesn't have a lot mm -hmm. of strength in that direction. But, you know. So but it, it is originally a, made of wood-based yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And it's got like a veneer over the top of it. And this is another, this is another woodworking topic. People get really divisive about that because people love to use Ikea as like the the example of, of, oh, that's just such crappy furniture. I'm like, yeah, well, it's 
really it looks pretty nice i think it's got some nice style to it and it's affordable yeah if somebody's trying to put their apartment together and they need some furniture there's nothing wrong with ikea you don't want to go out and spend ten thousand dollars on a, a dresser or something you know i mean for you know all walnut solid oh but it's all walnut steve <laughs> it's all walnut <laughs> But you know what's funny is it, this is actually kind of speaks to a, a broader issue of how divisiveness only occurs within communities, really. Mm. It's not somebody from the outside that, you know, all of the fights like within woodworking or within uh, like horror movies, I'm, I'm using yes. my own examples of things, are going to be within the people who are already within that group fighting. It's not like somebody from the outside comes in and says, hey, horror movies are just stupid. Yes. You know, because everybody be like, well, you're not part of this group. And But I find that within any community, there's, did I, there's where your, your troubles are. Did I, did I ever, God, this is like one of my favorite anecdotes. And I feel like I've been on this podcast so many times. I hope I'm not telling this story a second time. <laughs> did I, did I talk about like the, did I ever bring up like the archery YouTuber subculture? No, mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. Cause it's like, I just remember like once I was like doing a video or I was like researching something and I just kind of like stumbled upon like the archery, uh, YouTube rabbit hole. And there was like, I came across like this video where it was like, like, Deep, 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 like 10 videos in this like ongoing debate as to whether or not it's acceptable to like arch with your left hand versus your <laughs> right hand. Oh no. And apparently like, and like this video that I was watching, it was just like, it was like the rebuttal to a rebuttal to a rebuttal. And the guy was like, listen guys, this issue has been dividing this community long enough. You know, it's just like, like a plea for sanity because apparently like there's this whole idea where it's like, well, historically you could only arch with your right hand, mm -hmm. but now some people arch with their left hand and is that acceptable or is that a betrayal of the tradition and i kind of like i kind of love that kind of thing on some <laughs> level like the idea that these worlds are so insular that they have these like deeply passionate divisive debates that the rest yeah. of the world is just so you know ignorant of there's and the people are in there there's going to be gatekeeping in all of these communities oh, about what yes. is and and what isn't it was like i was talking about last week on the podcast that didn't get recorded was that at this podcast conference i went to there was like a debate over you know is that really a podcast if you're posting it on youtube it's just a video nobody from the outside who just casually listens to podcasts cares you know, that's not an issue to them. Yeah, it's yeah, only within yeah. that group that they have to make that division among who's allowed. Yeah, it always it always does come down to gatekeeping and, and purity tests, I think, right? Like, because when you're in a community, the membership in that community is very sacred and important to you. It's how you derive, yeah, a lot of your personal sense of self. And so if it's being seen as diluted... And yeah, you could imagine that like, you know, the podcaster scene and the YouTuber scene care a lot about maintaining a division. They think that they're doing very different work. They sort of conceptualize themselves very, uh, you know, distinctly and right. to have somebody muscling in on your space, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty threatening. Steve, I have a question for you. Sure. What's your favorite type of wood? That'd be horrible if I did that. But no, what did you learn at said podcast event? What was the, what was it called? It was called Podcast Movement. Ooh. Ooh. It's the whole movement of podcasting. Where, whereabouts was it? Denver. It was at a hotel. Oh, nice. Yes, at the hideous Gaylord Hotel. The Gaylord <laughs> Hotel. Massive, sprawling monstrosity in the middle of nowhere. 
do do give us just a quick update with the events and <laughs> discoveries. So, so the actually the conference was good. I learned a lot. There was like the two main points of conversation, kind of recurring themes were AI, not surprisingly. Everybody has some sort of AI to help you with your podcast, whether it's uh, recording, editing. One of the big things right now is editing text-based video editing, which I thought was really interesting, and audio text editing. Ba- what, what does that mean, text-based so like video editing? So it actually creates the transcript of your video, at, you know, whatever your vid- when your video... Uh, whatever you put it together, all the pieces and everything. And then you would just start deleting as you're, uh, like you would a text document. You can delete text and it automatically delete or automatically edits the video to that point. And so there's like features where, you know, you can tell it to automatically eliminate ums and likes and certain words like that. There's like endless ways you can customize these things. Uh, and so I actually, I downloaded one. In fact, Premiere Pro, Adobe's Premiere Pro now has a, a beta version. And well, I think actually in their real version, they have a text-based editor on there. And so I was playing around with it a little bit uh, for video. And I was just like, well, this is just faster for me to do it using the timeline. Uh, it was just kind of, but maybe it's just because I was something brand new and I was trying to edit that way. You know, you delete text and I don't know. I think I like the precision of using the timeline to edit. But anyways, there's a lot of these. So there was a lot of AI tools there, which, and probably 80% of them were just buzzwords thrown <laughs> around and then the other thing was youtube all the podcasts are moving to youtube was that like the div- huge was that the divisive subject over there and that was a very divisive subject yeah so like there, there's like a sort of a school of thought that says that you should basically never put your podcasts up on youtube or like there should be never a video component to a podcast i think so and i think it's like some of these long time podcasts and you know this is one of those i guess eternal debates what is a podcast you know and i think a lot of people are these purists who think well it has to be an rss feed it has to be audio only and it has to be distributed in certain ways to certain platforms and if you're just doing that on video on youtube then you're just making a video. It's not a podcast right now. And so the, the most important words I heard was from the guy from YouTube who is part of this podcasting, you know, section of YouTube now. And he said, at YouTube, we let viewers and creators decide what a podcast is. <laughs> and th- those are like fighting words, I think, to a lot of kind of old school podcasting people but it's true more and more people are just flooding into youtube to listen and casually watch podcasts it doesn't seem like it should be terribly threatening i mean it just kind of seems like it's just giving people an option of how they want to consume it i mean i certainly have consumed podcasts in both ways like sometimes you know when i'm out in the boot and walking around i'll listen to it a podcast on my headphones and I will get it from my my uh, RSS feed but then you know sometimes like when I'm working on the computer I'll load up a podcast that I like on YouTube and I won't necessarily watch the video yeah. component to it but I can listen to it passively it's just yeah but I mean I guess maybe in. yeah but yeah sometimes but I can imagine that some people might find that threatening too where it's just kind of like well 
because it it does maybe carry a, an added expectation that because then it's like okay i gotta get up the cameras set up we have to have some sort of presentable studio and maybe that seems a little mm-hmm. much and now there's just like the awareness of it though like now you're aware that it's a video and like not to be like really dumb about it but indeed if you record a video of a podcast it it's vid it's a video like you're uploading a, a thing but that's like saying if you were to record a video of a movie screen playing a movie that that video is now actually a movie because it, you know like it's the same thing it really seems that the one thing about the audio only aspect was it is audio only. You don't have to worry about what you're looking for, you know, the, and even just the way the conversations are different when you're just listening to them versus when you're like engaging with them and all the rest. So as much as I don't want to be that guy, I, I kind of agree. The one thing that I've hated the most about podcasting is telling people I have a fucking podcast. It's the most <laughs> annoying thing to say I'm a podcast because people just yes. think you're like, whatever you think you're whatever but like steve and i have tried to find the definition of what this is it is definitely not podcast it's only podcasting because it started as an audio only like that's what drew us to it now that we're talking about putting videos on to youtube and if that were to be the thing that jettapulted us into the, like you know whatever the yeah. million subscribers or whatever like then we're making videos well i think us uh, also for podcasters why youtube is so attractive is because of the discoverability element on yeah. youtube it's podcasts on other platforms are, are kind of notoriously difficult to just like discover in yeah. the way that you can on youtube with youtube's recommendation engine and and all of that and the, and the other the other kind of hesitation some podcasters have is that those views on YouTube, and this is probably for bigger podcasts, because I talked to a large podcast, a WWE podcast, one of their podcasts, and I think it's because those YouTube views are, are so separate from download numbers that you get on audio podcasts when you when you stream these things so i think for like as far as attracting sponsors and everything if a lot of those numbers are going over to youtube then you're not getting those same download numbers you were getting on spotify and apple podcasts which i guess is fair like i guess that's kind of like my attitude i have towards tiktok right like i don't do anything on tiktok because i feel on some level that that would be cannibalizing people that might be going to Mm. watch me on youtube so yeah I guess that I guess that makes sense. Do you consider yourself a YouTuber first? I mean, I, again, we've asked you that question a hundred different times, and obviously, there's always varying levels. But even at this moment, when you make a YouTube video, is it very purposely a YouTube video, or do you upload videos which just happen to be on YouTube? I mean, I think these days, I think as a YouTuber, I feel like I'm kind of like within the YouTuber subculture pretty firmly. You know, like I'm recording this at my youtuber studio in downtown vancouver <laughs> where true. i hang out with my other yep. youtuber buddies and yep. you know i just went to vidcon and i'm going to vid summit uh, yeah. you know so it's like I'm, I'm living the the youtuber lifestyle like it's true like some some creators have a somewhat more sort of like aloof attitude towards the platform where it's just like well i'm using the platform because this is what exists and yeah. they don't and you know but as you get more successful on any sort of platform you become sort of you more self-identify with it i think i mean do you guys, have you guys, I feel like you've probably surely spoken about this at great length, but whether or not you identify as YouTubers still? Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. definitely do. I, I think because that's really what built my career over the past 15 years, no matter what, where else 
the career goes and whatever other outside projects I'm doing, YouTube is still at that core of everything I yeah. do. And it, it was early on is when I started to really embrace the platform that. that I got to know other YouTubers and started to kind of become part of that culture, which is really fun. And it's better than being on the outside, just using it as a posting platform. Because I do, I know people like you mentioned, who just like, they post a video and then they're sure. out of there. They never really yeah. have any interaction with YouTube itself. And I just kind of think that they're missing out on a lot. It's why those 10 out of 10s really sting because the, 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 like the truth is, is because you do care like, or I do care, I guess, like as much as I talk about like wanting to be separate from it and not have it, uh, have it be that important. Like Steve says, like, quite frankly, it is that important. Like none of this would have been able to be possible without the discoverability of, you know, what happened, uh, uh, you know, years ago on YouTube, but now you also kind of can't do that. And I guess that's why I still ask the question because now it's the number one thing that all kids want to do. Now it's like almost like a bit of a slag at someone to say that they're a YouTuber or whatever. Or some people are like deliberately being like, oh, no, no, I'm a filmmaker. I just happen to put my stuff on YouTube. But <laughs> however, I also seem to do all the YouTube kind of stuff. And I, I can't get away from the fact that I truly understand that this is where I can come to, you know, get like, exposure or, or kind of whatever and I guess just the thing that's happened over 15 years is it really isn't about the amount of number like the magnitude of the number anymore it's maybe more so just like having true appreciation and gratitude for the number that kind of still represents like that audience that has been built up or something like that and it's not this constant like you said it's you're trying to like make something which appeals to new people to grow an audience, but you still have to be mindful and respectful. And like, you take that very seriously, clearly. Like I need, they, they deserve this. They took the time to submit, you know, to being a fan of mine. So I deserve to give them the best, you know, quality stuff. And that is like, so uniquely the culture of YouTube. That isn't, we're just like posting videos. That is like, we're on this platform. We're aware of this platform. And which is why in our videos, even today, as much as we're like moving away from like like buttons and subscribes and whatnot, we are still very uh, aware of using that word YouTube and whatnot. And we're aware that when we post one of our videos on Facebook or somewhere else, that it's like, yeah, we make videos. But at the end of the day, we, we truly are YouTubers. Well put, I uh, would say. <laughs> Uh, I was bringing this up with one of my YouTuber buddies yesterday. Do you guys comment on other people's videos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite things to do, actually. Because yeah. it's really funny because especially if it's on a, a video that's just totally outside of, you know, my genre or anything, which I love commenting on because it's always fun because other people who watch my videos will yes. leave a comment on there. Yes, oh, yes, imagine yes. seeing you here. Yes, so it's, yes, kind yes, of, yes. It's, it's fun to do that. Yeah. yeah, I go. Yeah. I go through uh, the comments and uh, on our videos, and sometimes if I notice someone else has a cleaning channel or something like that, I love going, subscribing, posting a bunch of likes and and comments on their videos and whatnot. Just, I don't know. That's like that really was that was part of, part of our huge growth 
uh, was uh, us posting a comment on someone else's uh, video and just that comment ended up getting pinned or liked or something by the person. We ended up getting just thousands of new subscribers because they saw this interaction and they discovered our channel. So, What about you, JJ? Can we run oh, across yeah. your wild comments in the wild? JJ in oh, the yeah. wild. I comment all the time and yeah, I get those kind of replies a lot as well, which I find a little a little tiresome sometimes where people yeah. are like, well, JJ, I didn't expect to see you here. And I often respond and I say, well, you know, I do have a life outside of my own channel, you know? <laughs> know it's like, exactly. But like some, some YouTubers are, are so cautious about sort of maintaining their, their sort of their image yeah. that yeah. they would not want to sort of be, you know, in down in the muck of the comments with, with the hoi polloi, right? So. <laughs> oh, I, I think you're totally right. I think it's kind of rare. I think that's why people are surprised to to see that and it's like seeing your your teacher at the grocery store yeah yeah especially when it's like a really out of context like i i remember i leave comments sometimes on like the new cannibal corpse video oh yeah you know death metal and then people would be like whoa, whoa. i was not expecting <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> like well i think it's a really cool video it's fun <laughs> uh in defense of grimace <laughs> <laughs> Is a is a purple blob not kind of like a cliche character now? Like, I get that I a mummy is so. usually wrapped in things, and a but like what other what other what other purple blob characters can you name off the top of your head? <laughs> That's you, it. You may have me because Barney and was, especially like and ones that predate Grimace as well, right? Like Grimace you know, was like the one that puzzles me when you mentioned the mummy. Is yeah. you know like when you think of the big monsters, classic monsters, yes. they all have some sort of a threat. But what exactly was the threat of the mummy? When you think oh. of it, what is he supposed to do? Does he choke you? Does he come? He just walks uh, slowly towards you with his hands. Curses <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, well, I'm not really sure what the. I'm not. The, I'm not the, sure either. Well, it's such a weird thing because also the mummy as a movie character isn't very big there's not a lot of movies with a mummy as the as the the monster it's it's a very yeah. small thing and yet it, and they never really looked like they're wrapped up the way mummies really do so <laughs> i think i think i think the character like works kind of like as a sort of generic halloween kind of character much more than it works as like an actual villain in a sort of narrative thing <laughs> yeah because it's true it's like like a mummy looks gross. Like I've seen like good kind of creepy depictions of a mummy, you know, where the bandages yeah. are all rotting and you sort of see like little glimpses of the rotting flesh. And so like there's a there's an image of like the hidden grotesquerie that lies be behind the bandages that I think is a compelling sort of frightening, upsetting, you know, disturbing image. But you're right. Like, I don't know. It's like the mummy is also like non-threatening because if you saw a mummy, he's just like some decaying corpse that you feel like you could just kick over and then <laughs> he would like just crumble apart, turn right? To dust. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I haven't seen any of the uh, I haven't seen any of the new mummy pictures that they've yeah. released in like the last decade. I understand that like I think the way they try to sort of sex up the mummy a bit is by making him like <laughs> well he's like this ancient like sort of mystical Egyptian yeah. guy and he has like superpowers and that mm. kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah, nobody, uh, nobody likes the mummy. My nobody Google question was, how does a mummy kill people? And there's just there's zero results. It has no, <laughs> in, in all of horror movies, has, the mummy has never reached the person. <laughs> so we, don't, we actually don't know what a mummy would do. Actually, it says they, they have super, super human strength. I guess that just happens when you die. Uh, and they can throw humans across the room with great force. No, they okay. can't. They can't. Well, how could they do that? They can't they're, move. They're they can't even put their arms down. 
Oh, mummies are stupid. <laughs> I mean, I was at the, so I had to go to the dentist yesterday and they, <laughs> of course, it's like the cliche dentist office music that they play, but they played a song I haven't heard it in a long time. And now it's like for the last 24 hours, it's just been stuck in my head. And it, it's that, uh, Chad, you would probably know it. It's the theme to Arthur, the old movie from the 80s that Christopher Cross... Once in your life you find her. That's Someone it. If you get crossed between the moon and New York City and... Yeah. God, I got this song and I hate that song. It's just like... It's mm-hmm. just... Oh, mm-hmm. it just drives me... It's always the yeah. songs you Christopher don't like. Christopher Cross. That, it's... Yeah. That yeah. voice. I heard this... I heard this like theory one time that if you get those earworms the way the reason why is because you can't find an end to the song so they say like find the lyrics listen to the song and then actually finish it out and then that should help get rid of it out but of that's a good example of a song that just like keeps leading you to singing it over and <laughs> over and over but and now it's stuck in re- my head steve do you remember that movie though have you seen the movie arthur, arthur. and it isn't then that this is a good example of a movie that probably hasn't aged well because it's about it's like one of these these movies about like the the fun natured alcoholic (laughs) it's like it's a comedy white aristocratic who's just like filthy drunk in like every scene and like groping (laughs) women and oh this is so funny it's true oh man just a monster and we like what's Uh, and we just like glorified the whole movie was called arthur it was this dudley moore right dudley moore there you go it's actually a good you know what it's it's worth a watch jj and then when you come back on the podcast you can let us know what you think that's gotta be a huge cringe at this point another one another one i saw uh probably five or six years ago i thought i don't know why we watched it and i hadn't seen it in years was uh mr mom do you remember that oh, with Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton. Oh. And oh, that was another I, one that was like, man, this thing does did not yeah. age well. A man at all. raising it's a so, baby? I know. <laughs> was a like, guy? Oh. And literally the cover was yeah. uh, he was in a public restroom with a baby, mm-hmm. covered in toilet paper, and he had a little baby with no <laughs> diaper on. And he had the hand uh, blower, hand dryer yeah. flipped up, and he was drying the baby's bum on a yeah. public hair dryer. And just, and the, just the, the idea of just Mr. Mom also, Mr. Did Mom. the title itself is just so ridiculous. Well, yeah. The conceit was that the, the wife was like a working woman. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah which and was like, like a dad or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, suddenly, like, the world's gone topsy turvy, you know? Because I remember there, I think there was like also posters where he's like wearing like an, like an apron, like just like right. these very yes. sort of like yeah. stereotypical depictions yes. of domesticity yes it's uh, it's weird like if a guy's gonna be a stay-at-home dad well obviously he's got to start doing all the woman stuff <laughs> don't know how to take my kid to the bathroom yeah. it's just horrible i was thinking like there was like another when you first said mr mom i think i was thinking like another movie that was i think of a very sort of similar conceit i feel like they stuck like hulk hogan in a lot of films of this sort of conceit where it's like he's like a babysitter or like a uh, nanny yes. or something like that yeah know? they did it to the rock too they yes, like yes, mr yes. nanny or something oh, and, like, oh. and arnold right like remember yes. arnold being yeah. like yes. junior like yeah that yes. was a real yeah. rich a real rich genre of film that went to <laughs> kindergarten yeah. Off. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. A man doing woman's work. Yeah, no. Hollywood really got a lot of work. That's just comedy gold. Just, it's just like an alcoholic. <laughs> nothing funnier than that. Oh, man. Did you ever I see... Love, sorry. 
Uh, I was going to say, do you see Brewster's Millions? That was Richard Pryor. That was a I've brilliant movie. That and a brilliant concept. John Candy was in it as well. And the whole thought was his rich uncle dies and leaves him $10 million. But in order to get the $10 million, he has to spend a million dollars in 30 days or something like that. And oh. he can't give it away. He can't whatever. So he has to find a way to blow a million dollars. Anyways, clever movie. Another good one to watch if... Since we're going down the movies we used to watch. <laughs> is, is that also, is Richard Pryor, so is that like dated? Does it have like any sort of like cringe, kind of like racial humor or anything oh, like yes. that? Oh, yes. I'll leave yeah. that to your imagination. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. as is on brand with everything from the 80s, yes. Mm, or like, yeah. like the Mel Brooks Blazing Saddles is one yes. of those. <laughs> it's a little bit Thick cringe, in its but really funny well, like, movie, though. That's You know, who you know. I just saw Mel Brooks last night. I watched this show called Only Murders in the Building with Selena Gomez uh, and Steve, Steve Martin, Martin. Martin Short. And it, it's really funny. It's a really well done series. But they had a like a scene in there with Mel Brooks. The dude's 97 years old. Yeah, wow. I was going to say, man, he must be getting up there in years. But yeah. God, these these some of these celebrities like are living extraordinarily long yeah, lives. Yeah, what is it with celebrities? Is it just because they can afford like the top notch? Probably healthcare? at this point. No, no. I mean, life lives are just getting longer in yeah, general. Like Bob Barker, true. you know, he died yeah. the other day, and he was like in his nineties, right? Ninety nine or something. Yeah, Bob Barker I, died. I didn't yeah. know yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. See, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm sort of oh. ashamed to ad, I'm ashamed to admit this because this is really quite ghoulish. But there's like this celebrity death pool website oh, yeah. that yeah. stiffs stiffs.com. And I mean, like, I'm I'm not interested in like betting on it, but I like to tune into it uh, every year, you know, at the beginning of the year, because you see what are the top ranked celebrities <laughs> who people are anticipating will die. Right. And that is that is ghoulish. And like, you know, I don't think it's fun to, you know, anticipate people's deaths. But it is interesting just as a reminder of how many super old celebrities exist. They are, you know, yeah. you see the top 10 lists that they release every, you know, January 1st. And you see like, oh, man, like these people are like really getting up there like. The, the number one guy is, uh, you know, is, is Henry Kissinger, you know, the former secretary of oh. state who is 100 years old. He recently wow. celebrated his 100th birthday. Al Jaffe, who was the cartoonist for Mad oh, yeah. Magazine. Al Jaffe. Yeah, he, he passed away recently, but he was I over 100 that. years old, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's just like, there's they have, a few. They have Jimmy, Jimmy Carter's on here, Henry Kissinger. Yeah. In the yeah. early, early internet web, there was a site called the Abe Vigoda Death Watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you remember that. because Abe and, and, and the site just went on for years and years yeah. because Abe Vigoda was one of these guys who always looked old. He was in The Godfather. He played, remember the, the really old, I can't remember the name of the character that Abe Vigoda played, but he was like 43 or something <laughs> at the time. And he just looked old. And then he was in, you know, Barney Miller and all. He's like a kind of stereotypical gangster kind of guy. But yeah, the Abe Vigoda Death Watch was <laughs> one of those yeah, that's, that's, early. Yeah. I remember there used to be like, it's funny, like that's like Abe Vigoda. Like it's like, same with like George Burns. Like he used yeah. to be like a celebrity that was like yeah. famous for always, just being, always old. being old. Yeah. And, and he smoked. Clark. And yeah, he and smoked. Ah! Yeah, okay. I remember people used yeah. to say, "Oh, see, he was in a Did movie with with." Uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Charlie Chaplin. Uh -huh. Well, probably, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, Den the one where John he... Denver. John Denver. He played Oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've Classic performance, very... yeah. But it's no, it's like and like and uh, Dick Clark, I think, was a sort oh, of yeah. similar kind of celebrity. Yes. Like these, they're celebrities that are kind of like famous for just being old and always being around yeah, yeah. and always kind of like looking the same. But I feel like there's, uh, I don't know, Steve it's going to become. 
Steve Jack, Martin. Jack Nicholson's managed to do it for about 50 oh, yeah. years now, yeah. actually. <laughs> Tony God. Bennett is another one. Like, dude, yeah. he's just like, wow, he's still... I mean, I think he died, actually. He passed away recently as well. He yeah, just he, did. he was also quite old, too. I yeah, think he, he was in his, was, his 90s. Uh, he had uh, was having dementia, and I don't know if you saw oh. his concert he did with Lady Gaga just, like, last year, maybe the year before. Yeah. It was r- real recent. And he, I mean... Yeah, he couldn't move around very well, but he sounded pretty good, you know. Huh. And it was interesting to see how he could sing and remember all the lyrics to the songs because he did them his whole life, you know, even though he was experiencing all this, this dementia and everything. I thought hmm. it was really cool. It's, that is cool. It's going to be a really sad day when number 33, Bob Newhart, actually does die. Because Bob oh. Newhart's a personal personal hero of mine wow this is this is most of the times when a, a, an aged aging celebrity dies it's one of those things where i'm like oh okay oh. or it might be i didn't realize they were still alive <laughs> they haven't died yet <laughs> <laughs> oh okay uh, they, they write they write i mean like i really like the new york times obituaries like they write really good very thoughtful uh, essays reflecting on a famous person's life so i do enjoy reading those you know it helps me bring me up to speed with People that like, you know, I'm aware of, but perhaps didn't sort of fully appreciate the like the full sort of magnitude of their of their of their life and their influence on the culture. So that can be that can be interesting. I should read the Bob Barker one now, I'm thinking, because it's like I don't know much about Bob Barker other than his life as a, you know, talk or game show host guy, but I'm sure he probably has a somewhat interesting genesis. I knew he wanted to get my cat spayed or neutered. Yeah, or my he actually became yeah. He became a bit of a fanatic as far as like animal rights uh, goes near the end of his life, which, oh. yeah, like he was like very militant in terms of vegetarianism and yeah. veganism and all of this kind of thing. So he, so he would have liked that Predator show. <laughs> I'm sure he was. A lot of celebrities, a lot of celebrities are often like the worst when it comes to sentimentality about animals, you know, I guess yeah. because they feel lonely and the, the <laughs> animals are like their only true friends, you know, he's not trying to get their money or whatever. So. <laughs> Uh, I saw another documentary recently called, let me pull this up. I, I just thought it was funny. It was uh, grind. It was called Slave to the Grind. And this was about grindcore. Are you familiar with grindcore music? Is this, yeah, this is like a kind of music that has some degree of like overlap with like, like horror stuff. Um, it is has, that right? It's more closely related to thrash and punk, I guess. So it oh. has, it's punk, but with, I guess it would probably be more metal but the band names are crazy. So the idea is that you, I think what they're trying to do is get it as lo-fi as possible. And like all their instruments are just really crappy. And it just, the sound is supposed to be really raw. But like the most, the most, one of the most famous bands in this is called Anal Cunt. Oh. Have you ever yeah. heard of this band? I think so I have, yeah. It's yeah. like, it. you know, you're, you're pretty much... I'm gonna say you're not gonna get much radio play <laughs> with that with that name, but um, yeah, it was weird watching these guys because they were kind of like living that life that you expect of a band like that to live. The guy died early, alcohol, drugs, the whole whole business. But I don't know. I just I find it interesting to look into these subcultures like that that people are super passionate about, and especially when it comes to metal because there's so many different like subcategories of metal. Was this like, was this stuff like aggressively, like unpleasant to listen to? Like, oh, is yeah. that kind of in, part in fact, of the... You can't, a lot of it would have like, just not even lyrics, just nonsense sounds and mm. made up lyrics. And it just, 
to an outsider, it was just probably the closest you get to just racket, just noise. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember, because I did a video where I was talking about uh, sort of postmodern art, and I was sort of stumbled upon like Japanese noise bands, yeah. which is like later like where they'll just like smash things and break bottles and the one <laughs> fellow like like puts like the microphone like quite deeply down his throat and then just tries to like sc scream with his <laughs> lungs to the max of his body like rides on the stage like a worm it's it's yeah. really it's quite disturbing to see but i mean like it's i suppose it's an interesting cultural phenomenon because you're really sort of testing the limits consciously testing the limits of what can be considered music but then right. I suppose it's also interesting that like there is an audience for this. Like there's people that are like, yes, I want to go to the concert to partake in this particular spectacle. Yeah, I think uh, Gigi Allen yeah. was like one of the early guys who, and really what this is, is kind of just more performance art, I yeah. think, than it's not really about the music. I think people are going to J.J. Allen to watches gg allen gg sorry jj mccullough yeah, yeah. Um, um no he's he's a great example though because he was doing it at a time that it was like i mean it was uh, no one was doing what gg allen was doing so yes. like now we're getting to the point where it's like uh there's a japanese movement with 15 different bands which are like trying to you know deliberately do however he was doing it in that same way he's deliberately you know defying authority or like going against the norm but like yeah. when he did it it seemed so much more authentic than just doing it yeah. for the sake of like rattling people up because no nobody shitting on stage the way he did <laughs> no one could shit on stage like because now it's all rage bait like as soon as i discovered what rage bait was i i i realized that like oh people literally are doing things just to rile people up now and that's yeah. kind of what this sounds like this sounds like people making intentional loud noises just to be like against the norm and it kind of seemed like Gigi Allen was trying to like I don't know make make a point or prove something but if anybody's interested in living uh, listening to slave to the grind uh, or watching it you can watch the whole hour and a it's half on YouTube, on YouTube for yeah. free yeah that's where I saw it I wonder if anybody's gonna like sort of bring this ethos to uh to YouTube anytime soon like real like kind of like postmodern YouTube videos that are like aggressive in some sort of way I don't know. I don't feel like I haven't heard of this. The closest I can think of was that, uh, what is it like web driver torso? Are you familiar mm. with this? No. Which was just like, this was like a video that sort of captivated the imagination of a certain set for some time because there were these very like cryptic videos that just kind of like made high pitch noise and kind of just had shapes that appeared mm. on the screen. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like mysterious and cryptic. And it, they are kind of like creepy and unsettling in a way that I personally find kind of compelling. But I think it was later revealed that they were just like Google testing something, right? Oh. Like it was just like a sort of That's... like calibration channel that was never meant to be sort of seen by by audiences. But I don't know, like I I, I, I do like the idea of, of this kind of like postmodern performance art where you're really just like really exploiting the form and really challenging the audience. I mean, obviously... To a point, the novelty wears off, and then it's just yeah. kind of obnoxious. No, I mean, I, I'm totally on board with it. I, I really like any anything that's pushing the boundaries of, of a certain type of media. You know, whether it's music or, or even movies. We've talked about this liminal movies that there's mm. kind of a, a thing going around right now. But I like that idea, and I like the idea of a that a band like Anal Cunt existed. <laughs> yes, just because like like man, we're just gonna we're, we're 
putting this out there just to challenge everything you've ever heard. Where do you go from anal cunt? Well, I don't know. And you know, it's probably this kind of stuff. It has to be on YouTube. You, you really can't do that because there's so many, I mean, there's not restrictions on YouTube to that extent. Like obviously it wouldn't be monetized. You can't, I don't know if YouTube has really restrictions that way other than they'll, they may like not recommend it. So I don't know. It just seems like people, people don't want to post really challenging things like that too much. Have you seen, I'm trying to think now, like what is the most kind of like avant-garde content I've seen on YouTube? Have you, have you guys seen Lasagna Cat? Uh, sounds familiar. I don't think I've seen it's it. It's like, it's, they're, they're like pretty like bizarre videos that are inspired by Garfield. I made reference to, mm. to them in one of my videos, but it's like the most sort of like, well, he's actually, there's probably like two videos that I think are like really kind of like extreme. Um, one is that there's this like powerfully, powerfully unfunny comic strip, uh, Garfield comic strip from the seventies where it's like John, you know, in those days, I guess smoked a pipe and yeah. he can't find his pipe, you know, and it's like, Garfield, where's my pipe? And then Garfield smoking the pipe in the last panel. And like, that's the joke. <laughs> and then the lasagna cat guy made a video where it's like, it's over an hour long. And he just has like some actor who is pretending to be like a kind of serious, like uh, scholar of some sort, who is kind of doing this like sort of freeform discourse on like the cultural importance of the, of the Garfield pipe comic. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it's a very like authentic, like the actor is quite good. And he speaks in this kind of like jargony kind of overly high-minded academic way. And yeah, that's like a, it's like a really kind of weird time-wasting pointless video, but it's just kind of creative and interesting. Oh, that's cool. I think one of my channels that I really loved a few years ago, and she doesn't do the same type of video anymore. It was Poppy. Yeah. Did you watch Poppy? She was a... This name a, sounds familiar. So she was, it sort of started out as kind of a stereotypical pop star. I guess that's probably why yeah. she was called Poppy. But she made these real short videos that were very dark and disturbing Uneasy. of just her st standing in front of like a white background. And then she would say odd things in this childlike voice. And then like maybe blood would drip out of her mouth yeah. or, or something. And with this really weird music playing. Oh my God. I remember when I found Poppy, I was like binge watching every, oh, yeah. every, everything. Cause they're real short and easy to watch. And now she's got a real big pop career. Interesting <laughs> because yeah, she like used that, those mechanisms to like promote her her singing career which she ultimately wanted to do but it was that remember she would just like hi it's poppy and it'd be like a three minute video and there'd be like weird or she would do like i'm gonna do a uh you know an, an eyelash uh you know tutorial or something like that and she would just do it and that was it like these little short random videos that sometimes had nothing to do with her music they were very eerie and disturbing to watch uh, yeah. lasagna cat i actually just quickly pulled up 15 years ago they started the channel in 2007 oh, wow. and that hour-long video um that's hilarious i'm going to have to do a deep dive into it but that it is because it's like it's like the video like it's it's interesting because like it's a video that's kind of like aggressively kind of like pointless in in a way like it, there's like a comedic sort of aspect to it but it's it's very long and it's like it's tough to endure because like it's not <laughs> like it's not it's not written in an overly sort of comedic way where there's like lots of jokes or something it's just like the the conceit of the video is what makes it unique right in the same way that 
Yeah, I don't know. Like it's 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 there's a lot you can do with the forum of YouTube, with the form of YouTube, and there's like ways that you can kind of subvert expectations. And it sounds like like Poppy that does sound kind of fascinating because that seems like a similar kind of example. It's like there's a degree of unpredictability. Like you assume yeah. a YouTube video is supposed to be like this, and then if you have a YouTube video that is like something else, then that kind of kind of tickles your brain in a pleasing way. And I like this idea of creating a channel with like no context to it. Like mm, if you go to the yeah. about page, it probably has more info on there now, but you would go, there'd be like nothing there. It just kind of like, just is here. And there's like, no, where does this come from? Who is this person? Why are they doing this? Yeah. Fil Filthy Frank is another good example who kind of did like the whole Filthy Frank character and then brought in right. Pink Guy. And then the Pink Guy actually would rap or like, sing songs or whatever and it was literally him moving from being like a youtube kind of comedian whatever into what ended up being a really successful or is a really successful music career and just using that as like this really interesting like wow isn't that odd this guy jumping around and making goofy kind of like whatever but this song is actually really really good so like uh just a clever way to like get out there just by using something random and different and in poppy's case like really really uneasy you know what we got to do we got to come up with something like just the three that's of what us. i'm thinking put it out there don't don't like tell anybody about it and just see what happens i've often i've often sort of like yeah i've kind of had that fantasy before like yeah. the idea of uh like you because i watch a lot of like these like iceberg videos and stuff and it's often popular to make like iceberg videos about the most mysterious videos on youtube mm -hmm. or the most mm -hmm. creepy videos on youtube and sometimes, like, there's a lot of speculation when a video is sort of mysterious in origin, and they sort of, like, they try to, like, oh, it, like, it has some kind of, like, telltale signs that it might have been made by this creator. And I kind of like the idea of, like, being behind a mystery that there would be some kind of remnants of myself in totally. that people could track back to me if they tried hard enough. If they so, try hard yeah. enough, they can do it. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Plus, it'd be a kind of a testament to see how to get that channel exposure. Yeah, because yeah. you wouldn't be able to promote it yourself. It would just be totally a grassroots kind of thing. I believe one of the greatest examples of this on the YouTube platform is How To Basic. Literally yeah. took one concept and for now like two decades has managed to stay somewhat relevant and also kind of like very consistent to what the recipe was. Starts off as what is seemingly a regular how-to video becomes crazy and eggs and fire and, and you all don't the know rest. who he is and you don't know who he yes. is and then there's like lore about that and all of the rest so well, well done mystery youtuber who definitely doesn't listen to this podcast 